Hello, and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I am Sarah Ann Minkin, Director of Programs and Partnerships at the Foundation. Today is September, September 3rd, 2023, and I am truly delighted to be here with Yuli Novak, the new Executive Director of the Israeli human rights organization B'Tselem. B'Tselem, formerly B'Tselem, the Israeli Information Center for Human Rights in the Occupied Territories, is one of Israel's premier human rights organizations and a longtime partner of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. And Yuli is a longtime partner and friend also. Yuli, I want to ask you, I want to start, you've just taken the helm at B'Tselem. You've had a very interesting path on your way there. First of all, thank you for being here today. Thank you for taking the time. And will you introduce yourself, please, to the Foundation for Middle East Peace audience? Tell us what you think is most important for us to know about your background and your experience. Hmm. Uh, so um, thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to speak to you. Um, uh, what, what is most important to know about me? So uh, I'll just tell you a bit about myself and about the journey that brought me into this current position. Um, so I, I live in uh, Jaffa. I'm now in my home with my partner, waiting for our first child to be born any day now. Um, I was born and raised around Tel Aviv in Israel um, in a very, I would say, very Zionist, very patriotic environment. Um, what we would call the Zionist left, or liberal Zionist, maybe, environment, um, with a lot of um, deep connection and a lot of love to this country and this place. Um, but at the same time, in a very, very liberal, very open, um, and, and, and I think quite aware, politically aware environment. Like uh, as a child going, growing up in the 80s and 90s, I think I, I was not much more politically aware than uh, most of the kids around me. And having said that, somewhere in my uh, 20s, I, I found out that although I thought I was politically involved, there are many things I don't know. And, and, and most of all, I got, I got to know slowly and a bit better what, what today I think is maybe the most crucial or essential part of our political life, of our existence here, and that's the occupation and, and the, the treatment and the relation between the state of Israel and the Palestinian people. So slowly, I, I won't go into that, but that happened during my 20s and brought me towards the end of my 20s, and it was 2012, um, to join the organization Breaking the Silence as a director. And I was the, the director of the organization for five years, and quite hectic times. Um, on a personal level, it was a time in which I once again learned that I don't know anything, basically, or that all that I thought I knew about, about politics, about um, how this um, occupation machinery is working is not is it, it, um is just like the tip of the ice and that um this system is much much uh, more complex and more and have deeper roots um 
in the in our political existence. So that was the first thing I I, I think I think in while I was directing Breaking Sounds is to get to know the occupation. Um, and the second crucial thing that happened during those years is that somewhere around 2015, 2016, um, what today I would call, and a lot of people call, the, a major crackdown on uh, civil society, uh, on human rights organizations in Israel happened. And breaking the silence at the time was one of the organizations that was on this, in the center of this governmental attack and 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 yeah it, it was it was a combination of a few a few levels and it wasn't unique to israel i mean we know these these phenomena from uh, other places as well so so it was also a time for me to acknowledge some or or to face not to acknowledge yet but to face some of the dynamics of um what happened in a country in society that go through changes um that loosen some of its democratic features and go into more autocratic nature um and to really feel it like to to to, ex to experience it from really a first-hand experience um i left breaking the silence at, it was 2017 and i was quite exhausted and burned out. It's also something that happened to activists, mostly in environment that changed so rapidly. Um, but also, I I had a very very strong feeling and knowing that I have to go through a journey to to deepen my political understanding of what's going on. And that's basically what I did since then. So so I spent about six years. Um, moving in i would say two paths uh, that are not separated one is to develop my political understanding of this space that we're living in um and and the, and the other one is to develop my i would call it strategic understanding of how to make a political change and how 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 do you how do you act if you want to make a political change in in this dynamic and very um asymmetric environment uh, what tools we can use what kind of what what it means to be to build a strategy in this kind of environment and so on um basically by chance but maybe not by chance i found myself in south africa and spent a few years there so i did some work uh, with activists israeli and palestinian activists both here in Israel, Palestine, but also uh, abroad and mostly in, in South Africa. Um, research, writing, thinking a lot and learning about the nature of um, this of the regime that, that works here, the political structure that we have here, um, and got to the conclusion that I think to identify it as apartheid is the right is the right way to identify it. Um, so that was also kind of a political um, move for me. Uh, quite not an easy one, we can talk about it. Um, and after a few years of, of, of doing this kind of work involved, but also a bit from afar, and as things are changing very, very fast on the ground here, um, it 
got to be harder and harder for me to stay to stay far um and that's what brought me to Betselem basically and back to the field great thank you for all of that um it's it's good to hear about your journey and your and your trajectory and um it was also interesting just to note and I I, I almost want to say this for the people in our audience listening. I, I feel like I, I can I can hear the question that some people are asking. Um, mm-hmm. Since you, you started to describe your political journey basically in your mid-20s, you skipped over the period in which you served in the IDF. Mm-hmm. Um, will you just tell the, just for our audience, a, a little bit about that piece of your life? Not, not in too much detail, but that. Yeah, yeah sure. About that no. piece. Yeah, you're right. I'm. Yeah, it's, uh, I haven't thought about. It. I I didn't plan it, but you're right that I skipped it. Um, um. I guess it. I I'm not very proud of it, you know. Uh, today, uh, may, maybe that's part of it. But uh, yeah, I served uh from like in, from the 2000-2005, uh, the years of the Second Intifada. Um, I served at the, at the Air Force. I was an officer. Did few like um, um, position there there, um, and no part of, of of for me it wasn't really a question whether I should go into the army or not. Refusing was not really an option. Um, not that I couldn't. I I just it, it wasn't an option. It wasn't something that I, that I thought of. All my friends, all my family, it, it, it was an obvious thing to do. Um, and also, I couldn't see a contradiction that today is very clear to me um, in serving the uh, Israeli army and my political position. And maybe then there wasn't a big uh, um, contradiction. Uh, I truly believe that the system, the Israeli system, as a whole, is a democratic system, and that there is the occupation, that is something that we can fix, and uh, that that is wrong and should be fixed. Um, and in that sense, to serve the army wasn't a a bad thing. It was just a, I should go, I should do it, I should do the best that I can. Um, again, today I think I I feel and I think differently about that. But I think part of part, part of the um, strength of this kind of, of of political systems, and and specifically apartheid, is that um, there are some things that you take for granted, that that are not even a question. Like, you really need to go through something in order to 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 start asking yourself those questions. So yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you for that. And if we were having this conversation. 10 years ago when you were at breaking the silence we would speak i think much much more about uh your understanding of the role of of the idf and what it asks of its soldiers and what it represents to the country and but but here we are 20 years after your service almost um and you have been through uh, many layers of your own transition and trajectory and arrived at this place you just described to us where both you felt this this urgency to come back and be in the field 
and to so to and you've taken this position up at Selim, and also you've spent the last few years really uh, honing and 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 sharpening your own analysis of of what is necessary, what is possible at this point from a, a strategic place. And so I, I want to ask you specifically about the work of B'Tselem. Mm-hmm. B'Tselem uh, founded in 1989, so active since 1989 in documenting and monitoring and, and publicizing human rights abuses in the occupied territories. Um, and, and here we are now with the annexation of the West Bank speeding along, um, really picking up speed, accelerating this accelerated dispossession of Palestinians and violations of their human rights. So from 1989, the moment B'Tselem started, here we are in 2023, what is the mandate of B'Tselem at this moment? Like, wh- how do you see the work of B'Tselem at this moment in time? Hmm. Hmm. Um... Yeah, it's a super interesting question because I think it relates to B'Tselem, but it, it, in a way it's an um, even wider question because it it, it it has to do with with what is a human rights work in this kind of, of, of changing environment, right? So, um, so I would say the basic role of, of, of B'Tselem um, haven't changed. It is to show reality um as it is, and as you said, like to, to, to shed light on 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 violations of, 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 of human rights and abuses of human rights, um, in a ways to give voice to the one that doesn't have it or 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 can't have their voice heard. So um, even when when the situation changing, I think the basic uh, element of the work stays the same. At the same time, the challenges are, are changing dramatically and the environment that we're working is changing dramatically. And I believe that part of the obligation that organization like B'Tselem, any human rights organization has, is um, to keep learning about these changing realities and adapt to it. And, and, and Because the ultimate goal is to make to make things better, right? Um, it's not just we're not doing it just just to show off, but but to really change reality. So you have to to adapt to whatever is going on. And I think with Salem in the last ten years, um, under the leadership of uh, Hagai Elad, did some and, and even started before that, um, made some huge huge steps in 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 the sense of the way we understand reality and the way. As the organization understand reality and the organization understand its role uh, in the face of it. So moving from uh, understanding and 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 I said it before that what we're dealing with is not a democracy that runs a occupation, but that there is one system. The occupation is uh, the military occupation over the West Bank and Gaza is part of it, but that the um, Israeli's political system as a whole is basically oriented into um, keep a Jewish superiority over Palestinians. And in that sense, the abuses of human rights is an outcome, a necessary outcome of this system. So the move wasn't made in a day. It was a process. Um, 
starting with uh, like a process of stop working within the system and trying to fix it, like uh, by filing complaints to the Israeli judicial system uh, or the army itself, um, stop waiting for the army to investigate itself, but acknowledging the fact that it's not, um, shedding light on um, how the court system, the Israeli court system, either the the the, the um, that of the army and the civil one, even Israel's uh, Supreme Court, is basically working to uh, preserve this the occupation in a way to preserve the violation of human rights of Palestinians, and more than all to preserve Jewish superiority in this uh, space. And I think that it was a journey that the, the organization went through. And early in 2021, a, a paper came out with a position paper of the organization identifying and explaining why, why we see uh, the Israeli regime, uh, first of all, one regime between the river and the sea, um, not as two, diff- uh, two separate systems, right? One is the democratic Israel, one is the occup- occupying uh, Israel over the West Bank and Gaza. It's one regime, it's one system, um, and it's logic, and that's, I think, the important thing. Um, it's logic, basic logic is to uh, preserve and promote uh, Jewish rights and uh, Jewish superiority. It's not, it's like how to say it, but but but, but that's what it is. Um, and I think that's, that's for B'Tselem, I feel very comfortable to say it because I didn't do it, that the organization did it way before I joined. Um, it's quite a car- courageous move to, to make. Um, so so if to go back to the role of B'Tselem in that, in that sense, I think once we understand that in order to protect, if, if, if I'll say the, the other way around, violation of human rights are outcome of this sort of regime, which we identify as apartheid regime, in order to make sure that the human rights are gonna be saved and protected, um, we have to dismantle this regime. It's not about fixing it to be a better apartheid regime. Apartheid regime, once you acknowledge it, yeah, there is no way to make it better. You just have to change into a democratic one. And this is a fundamental change. And, and I think this is part of, of, of the mission that B'Tselem has now is to help as much people as we can to understand this reality as it is by showing what it does to um, people. To humans, um, yeah. Thank you. Um, what does it mean to dismantle the apartheid regime? To change it, to change it into a democratic one. It it, it is quite simple, you know. It's not. It sounds like a, I know. Both talking about regime sometimes sounds very like radical and, and extreme. And the word itself, I find it even in Hebrew, mishtal. Uh, it's like a big word, and many people, when they hear this word again, I think in Hebrew, in English, in other languages, the connection is in into something bad, right? Something that is negative. But no, I, I, when when I say regime, it's just the 
I mean the 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 system, not the specific government, but the system with its logic, with its intentions. Um, and it's I mean democratic regime is also a regime, and it's a good one. So so it's not. So yeah. So when I if you you agree with me, or or if one is willing to identify what we see here, what is going on in Israel-Palestine as um, apartheid. Um, when I'm talking about dismantling it, to, to replace it, to replace it with a democratic one. The one that is just, the one that is not racist, that doesn't uh, aim to promote rights of one group over the other. Um, again, it's it, it sounds big, but it's quite, I, I think it's quite simple. The thing is to get there mentally is super hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To acknowledge it is, is is super. I know from from a personal experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. I I want um, to just point out for our listeners a, a couple of of things, a couple of resources. Um, we did a, a conversation on the concept of Jewish supremacy, what it means. Uh, what it means out of different uh, from when different people use use the term um, Jewish supremacy and how people talk about it. And Orly Noy was one of our guests in this conversation. Orly is a writer and a translator, a political activist, and she is also the board chair of B'Tselem. And uh, I will put a link to that conversation on the, the homepage for the conversation that Yuli and I are having right now, because the thinking about the different contours of what it means to talk about Israel as a Jewish supremacy or the regime as a supremacist regime or um, as as Orly, as uh, Yuli is talking about now, that is a regime that works to preserve the rights of one people um, over over another. Um, I, I think it's, it's really worthwhile to sink into uh, what we mean when we use this term, what different people mean. And and now we had that conversation um, before the last election, just in the run up to it, when there were actual avowed Jewish supremacists running. Now those people are ministers in the government, um, Ben Gvir and, and, and Smotrich. Um, every, everybody calls them Jewish supremacists sort of freely. Um, but there's a bigger question here, which is what about the regime as a whole? And Orly uh, talked with a lot of nuance and sensitivity about what it means when you're talking about even people on in labor and merits as promoting a Jewish supremacist regime when you actually when you have actual Kahanists um, who are really sort of very very proud and explicit Jewish supremacists how do we talk about a regime where there's a, there's a range in terms of the um the explicitness of, of of how people embrace this idea but actually the whole regime, as you were just telling us, Yuli, and as um, B'Tselem's apartheid paper so clearly lays out, the whole regime is premised upon promoting and preserving and protecting the rights of Jewish people above all other rights. So that so that's one resource, and and um, and we've also we we luckily when Chagai El Ad ran B'Tselem, he was a, a, we had him on this podcast many times. Um, mm -hmm to and and learned so much from him including to talk about Bitzelem's decision around this 2021 paper to declare the regime from the river to the sea apartheid so i i actually i want to ask you a little bit about that um 
So B'Tselem became the first Jewish-Israeli human rights organization to make the case that Israel is practicing apartheid between the river and the sea. There is one regime here. As, as, as you're talking, Yuli, it's not a, a democracy and an occupation. There is there's one regime between the river and the sea. B'Tselem made this case. This is apartheid in 2021. And I wanted to ask you, now we're in 2023. How do you see the impact of B'Tselem's work on apartheid, the impact in terms of uh, the work in the world and also um, of B'Tselem's work in the world and also in terms of, um, of, of how different audiences perceive and understand the Israeli government and, and the Israeli regime overall? Hmm. Well, again, it's a good but hard uh, question, right? Because impact is in 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 those things. Like it's really it's really hard to measure. I think that the uh, the discussion around the um, or, or the discourse of apartheid is widen. Acknowledging Israel as apartheid the state is um, is 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 widening. Um, that I mean, I mean we can see it. It's a uh, I, I think that's a fact. Um, and I, I think Betselem and, and other organizations can and, and, and can take some credit uh, for it. I mean, for pushing this this understanding, this um, um, uh, analysis of reality forward. Um, you know, the, the impact or 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 the outcome of of this is i don't it, it is happening uh, like gradually but but you know there is something about acknowledging apartheid i said it before and i think once you acknowledge it once you agree to acknowledge uh, the israeli regime as apartheid regime um the the answer of what to do with it is quite is quite simple because there is no place for for this kind of regime in the world. I mean, I mean, you you either say okay, we are willing to be that thing, or if not, so you you have to you have to change it. It's not it's not something acceptable that you can you can live with, and that there is an excuse of why why we are doing that. And that's unlike the occupation, as as practice. Um, that Israel for a long time, in a very non-convincing way, but Israel for a long time, uh, and still is, in, in a way, um, trying to make the case that it is a security thing, it is, we are oblique to, it's temporary, it's, so so there is kind of a space to, to um, uh, for discussion. Again, not that I believe any of it, but there is, but once you, you understand that this thing, that, that's the real thing, it is what you see. Um, and that logic behind, you understand the logic behind it and you identify, and again, just, you said it and, and you said all he talked about it, but you know, in, um, it, the, okay, when I, when I said the logic of, of, of the apartheid regime, I, and a Jewish superiority and, we see throughout the years, in uh, 2018, five years ago, the uh, state nation uh, law that was, um, so it was said very clearly. And in this government, the founding guideline of the government is saying it even more clearly. 
marking that the Jewish people have an exclusive, exclusive right over the entire territory of the land of Israel. So, so it is it is something that you know we don't need to look for anymore. And um, though Israelis, unlike South Africa, doesn't use the word apartheid, because in South Africa they were quite quite proud of it. Apartheid wasn't a bad thing, right? It was just a system. Um, so Israel doesn't use the word, but it's doing all the rest in order to, to, to make it happen. So, so I'm saying acknowledging it, I think that's in, in a way, that's the ultimate goal. Uh, that's the impact. Um, it doesn't, you need to work hard in order for, for, for because politics, because, uh, you know, um, a power a balance of power in the international uh, in the geopolitical balance of power we need to work hard in order for people to be willing to acknowledge it but that's on the global or more geopolitical level i think in the local level it's even local israeli uh, society um, in a way it's even harder uh, because again i i know from my personal experience um, there is a mental barrier uh, as Israeli to acknowledge uh, this thing. There is something about, you know, even gr gr to grow up as a leftist, as someone that is quite critical to the practices of, 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 of my country. Um, there is something about thinking about the occupation and the settlers in the West Bank and God. That's the problem that keeps you, um, it doesn't touch something like um, substantial about who you are. I can still be Israeli, I can still be very proud and loving for my country, my democratic country, and the problem is somewhere else. It's beyond the green line, it's the, the, the violent settlers, it's them, it's not me. And once you acknowledge that the problem is the regime and that I am definitely one that uh, part of the group that advent that has the advantage in this sort of, 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 of regime, the privileged side, side of things, um, and that I also live under apartheid. It's not something that happened only there. It happened just here, right now, all, all the time. Um, that some, says something about myself. Um, about myself, about my family, about about the environment I, I grew up in, and um, about the things I love, and that they are part of me. You know, you talked about the army. Um, for me personally, it was a totally different thing to understand what the army, the Israeli army, is doing in the occupied territories, and then to understand that it is actually an army of 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 a um, political system that is very unjust in its its base. Um, so you have to let go of a lot of things that that, that are really part of you, um, and and to take responsibility in a whole new way. And I think that is something that for Israel is much harder to do. I understand that. I know that for me it's much harder. Um, but once you're there, um, things make much more sense. <laughs> That's maybe the good news. They are terrible. Things around here are terrible, but it makes much more sense. It, 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 it's just more coherent. 
Uh, and I think today more than ever, we have the op the opportunity to make to 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 speak to Israelis about the nature of this place is uh, bigger than ever because something about it showed itself. Uh, Bankville, uh, you, you said it, but Bankville is not a phenomena that came out of nothing. Um, it is an extreme phenomena. Uh, it is unthinkable that this guy who really holds is the poster boy for this Jewish superiority, settler violence, like, and he's the, the minister responsible of the police. It's like, <laughs> every time I say it, I'm like, nah, cannot be true, right? But um, so I, I think more and more Israelis asking themselves how we got here, how the hell we got to this place. Um, and that's a very good, um, I mean, it's a terrible place to be in, but uh, mentally, but I think it's an, also an option to start to ask yourself a really hard question about what we did till now that brought us here. Great. Thank you. Thank you for all of this um, conversation about what it looks like to name name what's going on around you and to and to look at um to, to look at all of the signs and 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 what the regime says about itself, like the nation state law in 2018 or the, the coalition agreement just now for the new government and 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 the political opportunity in that, um, I, but I I, I want to ask you uh, actually I, I want to go back to ask you a very specific question about about B'Tselem, uh and the work that you do. So B'Tselem's work is or, or the 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 um, the heart of the work is documenting human rights abuses, col collecting information, and B'Tselem is known for its rigor. It's known it it, it is. It is deeply trusted because the research is so rigorous and so careful. And I wanted to ask you about the conditions now for doing this kind of data collection and monitoring and reporting. Mm. We are in an unprecedented moment of settler violence, of specifically of, of settler violence against Palestinians. And um, B'Tselem says <laughs> settler violence is state violence equals state violence? Not just B'Tselem says that. We 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 know that. But um, if any listeners go to your website, and I recommend they all do that, they'll see all over the website settler violence is state violence, and and incident after incident of settler violence that is being enabled one way or another by the state, um, explicitly by 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 the state. And so I want to ask you specifically about. Um, B'Tselem's field workers. So B'Tselem is a, is a staff that is both Palestinian and Jewish. And your field workers are Palestinians who live in the occupied territories, who live in the West Bank, in East Jerusalem, in Gaza. Um, what are the challenges that B'Tselem's Palestinian staff are facing right now, particularly in, in doing this work? Yeah, so... Um... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're right in that respect. That, that that's the main thing that uh, Betzelim is doing, and that's that's the basic the base of 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 our work, no doubt. And also the, um, uh, I think in a way the legitimacy of 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 this organization existence, right? Because again, it's it's about documenting and showing something that 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 is meant to be hidden or that is meant to be 
uh, not shown. Um, so yeah, and 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 I think the the hardship of of doing so, as for sure as a Palestinian who live uh, under the occupation, the West Bank, uh, East Jerusalem, Gaza, um, was always there. But uh, and 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 I mean the organization and its people facing it since ever. But in the last year, uh, we see a drastic change in the amount of violence uh, that happens on the ground. Um, it's not by chance. <laughs> it happens because, as, as we understand it, because of the political support uh, that this kind of, 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 to call it settler violence, again, you, you said it, it's not settler violence. It's, it's, it's a state violence. It's a, again, it's part of the logic of this regime. Uh, the apartheid used violence as a tool, as a main tool. Um, in different ways, the army used the violence, settlers used violence against Palestinians, but the um, rise that we see in events and the, uh, um, the amount of violence, uh, I think it, it will be very hard to deny that it has to do with the fact that people that promote <laughs> this violence are now sitting and the government around the government table. So again, Benkvir, he is settler violence, and he is now the person who is responsible for enforcing the law. It's it's absurd, and and I think the um, natural, almost natural, disastrous but natural outcome of it is that we see the rise of of, of violence, and our workers also. I mean, Betzelem people. Workers and volunteers, um, not 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 even as people of, of Bezalem's people, just just as, as as Palestinians who live there are suffering like the rest of the Palestinians, but they are putting themselves in risk uh, as they are approaching those, like doing their work basically, documenting, insisting of being there, of being in the field, um, suffering from both harassment from the army, from the authorities, and from settlers who are basically now roaming around the West Bank freely, um, much more violent um, actions than before, and much less, um, not that before it was good, but much and more, less and less um, um, even, even, even the Kind of facade of 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 or, or inten intention to force any kind of law over them. Um, so in that sense, I think on a personal level things are getting harder. Uh, on organizational level, for sure things are getting uh, harder. The challenges—it's not only the um, threats. Um, I think that that every organization work for human rights. Um, in Israel, Palestine, and for sure, organization work in the uh, occupied territories uh, are now get in much bigger risk than before. In terms of legislation, in le terms of I mean, there are tons of things on the table that might happen. Um, and you know, I think there is something about this reality that is changing that. Also, bring some 
for us some new challenges in a way that, you know, it, a few years ago, we thought, I think most of us thought that if we'll fight it, we can stop it. I mean, we should keep fighting because because something can, can we can stop something terrible from happening. And if, to be realistic, if we look at the political situation, it's not we're in a very asymmetric uh, reality. It's not it's not a fair fight, right? It's not that. So we need all the help we can get, especially I think from abroad, in order to to put as much pressure as possible and to demand Israel to be accountable as much as we can. But these are to be realistic. These are a long process, right? It's not something that will happen in a day. And in a way, reality moves much, much, much faster. And that is, I think, for for that raises some really like deep and and and, and challenging question about the work that we are doing, because you are trying to do the best to to help people on the ground. That's fine. But I think there is um, a developing understanding that part of of what we should do is to explain the political context of what it is going on on the ground. That even if we can stop it, at least we should put this price, political price tag on it um, and to put it in the right context. It's not what we see, settler violence is not a like local phenomena that happen here and there and that works against the agenda of, of, of the Israeli regime. It is part of the agenda of the Israeli regime. It is part of a system that try to to um, um, clear as much space, as much land uh, from Palestinian and to kind of transfer them into specific areas in order to have this Jewish um, uh, uh, exclusive right over the entire land, right? So, so, so it is our, I think, obligation is to do- document, but also to analyze it and to to try to to explain it. Um, yeah, and may- maybe the last thing, I mean, another big, huge challenge: this kind of growing vi- violent reality is um, bringing. Uh, I feel it. Personally, is how to recruit hope in this situation, because you know it's again you want to you want to be hopeful, but you don't want, but you also want to be realistic. We have to be realistic about what we can do, about where we're heading, and and I think it's it's not only about remembering that it will be good. I mean, we will get there. Finally, it's also about to. Um, kind of create hope in the struggle itself, in our obligation to do our best to change the situation, even if we can't fix it uh, completely. Um, but I'm saying it because I think, yeah, we're in a time where it gets harder and harder um, to be in this space. To to create hope in the struggle itself. I... I um... I wanted to ask you, it, it's so interesting listening to you and, and and speaking to you with the ways that you are weaving in the the, the personal, the emotional, the political, and the and and the state regime and and the struggle all all together. Um so when you joined B'Tselem a couple months ago, 
you published a, a, a letter, you sent a letter to um, B'Tselem supporters. And I want to quote a little bit from that and, and ask you about it. So this is what you wrote. You said, in a few months, my partner Yaeli and I will become mothers. It's hard for me to grasp, but a moment will come when one child in this world, one creature will be ours and we will have to raise and protect him. Sadly, I know that my child will be born into a painful and cruel reality. My child will be born to live under apartheid, to be an occupier. The decision to bring a child into this place, into this world and this reality was not a given for us. And then you wrote that you're, you joined B'Tselem because you want to do the best that you can. Yuli, you said to, quote, turn this place into the home I wish for my child and for all the children who live between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, a home of justice and morality, values and freedom, a home free of oppression and discrimination, a home healing from occupation and apartheid. So you're tying your work with B'Tselem directly into your role as a parent. Hmm. And I wanted to ask, and, and now you've, you've, you've invited all of us listeners into that work hmm. with you, both from the letter you wrote, but also when you talk about what it looks like to create hope in the struggle. So can, can you, can you just talk to us about, um, what this vision, the the connections between the the specific work for human rights under this regime of oppression, and this is human rights, the the primary victims of the of the violations of human rights are Palestinians, many of whom are your partners, many of whom you don't know and you'll never know, except for the ways in which their human rights are violated, and you're standing up for them, and also your vision as a parent. Or, or, or a parent to be, God willing, and very, very soon. Yeah, yeah. You know, in in, in the simplest way, I think it's a it's a very intuitive. Um, uh, it's, it's it's almost banal to say it, but I think every parent wants to 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 do its best to to give his or her child. Um, um, to live in the like to give the best world that the child or her child can can have, and in a sense, I, and and I wrote it because because I feel it. Um, I want to do my best. I feel like on on a personal, on a political level, on every level, I need to do my best in order to 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 make sure or try to make sure that my child won't grow up to be an oppressor or at least stop being one at, at some point of his life um i don't have another home i mean that's my home israel is my home uh, i don't want to leave it i don't want to live anywhere else i i but 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 i want to live a just life and 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 uh, yeah for myself so so i mean it for my, for myself for my family and for I think it's part of, of, of we're part of something bigger than than ourselves. So but there is something else to it, I think, and that's part of, of a very personal journey I went through, is the understanding that part of what 
um, this sort of 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 of, of regimes um, um, like the apartheid regime is doing is in a way separating us from who, who we really are. Um, it's creating an environment in which we are being told a story about who we are um, and we grow up to believe in it. Uh, in, in our case, in the Israeli case, it's a story full of, 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 of fear. Um, it's a story about uh, uh, being chased all the time, about the fact that we have to be strong and militant in order to survive. Uh, it's a story about uh, substantial differences between some people and others. Um, and, and, and you grow into that story. Uh, you don't have any, like growing up in Israel, I didn't have any alternative. Like just to go beyond it and to, to, to start thinking something, to, to imagine a different future is something that considers so radical, so like out of place, uh, irresponsible even in a way. I mean, that, that's how far it goes. And I think part of the, uh, one of the outcome of this kind of, of mental state is that the political um, action is separated from the personal. I mean, there is something that is just doesn't work there. Uh, and I know for me personally, while I was in breaking the silence and doing doing some political work, um, that's the way I, I that's the way I experience things. I'm doing my political work, and there is Yuli, who is the private person, and there shouldn't be any connection between the two. And and for sure, I don't need not to give time and not to give attention to what I'm going through because I'm not the victim. It's not about me. Now, I'm really one of the uh, privileged group, part of, of the privileged group in this system, no doubt at all. But I'm also living under this oppression um, in a way that it, it, it plays with my mind. It uh, controls my, my everyday life. It makes me being oppressor. It makes me be uh, um, the Jewish person under Israeli apartheid, which is not something that I want. And I think bringing, in order to 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 to, to oppose this kind of, of mechanism, you have to at least that's my understanding. I have to actively bring myself and the true self into the discussion. That's part of my political action is to bring my to 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 oppose this kind of separation between the private and the and the political. Um, and and I'm doing it as 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 a person, as a human, as a activist, as woman, um, and soon as a parent. Um, so that in itself, for me, is is, is this the most personal action and the most political action I can do at the same time. Thank you for that clarity, and um, and for that vision, and. Um, and in many ways for that, I think, in, inspiration and and motivation. Um, you have mm -hmm. you've you've given me and I'm and I'm sure our listeners a lot to think about and 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 to chew on. Um and I'm really grateful that you took time when I know that 
time without this baby is, is, uh, is, is short at this time, <laughs> at this moment. Um, <laughs> and I really look forward to checking back in with you when you're back from parental leave and wish you very well with this birth and the arrival of this baby and, um, and very well with your work at B'Tselem, which is such a critically important organization fighting for everyone's right to be and bring their full selves into, into the world and into the political world, um, that everyone between the river and the sea may be able to have the birth and the child and the family that they want free of, free of oppression and, uh, and violations. So thank you, Yuli, for taking time with us today. Thank you. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Occupied Thoughts. Uh, please make sure to check out the FMEP website, www.fmep.org, for resources related to this podcast, uh, for other great content related to Palestine and Israel. Subscribe to this podcast so you can stay up to date. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. You can watch video versions of this podcast on YouTube. And thank you again. Yuli, thank you to our listeners. And with that, I am Sarah Ann Minkin signing off until the next episode of FMEP's Occupied Thoughts. Take care. <laughs>